from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have either chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life or who have a relationship with the Baha'i faith. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Ryan Abeo. Born and bred in Louisville, Kentucky, Ryan became a Baha'i while in high school. But it was when he was in Zambia that he realized what it was to serve the Baha'i faith. At around 12, Ryan got interested in rap music. He is now a professional musician and is in a group called Common Market. They have produced four projects, either as CDs or as digital downloads. Their website is commonmarketmusic.com. I caught Ryan on the go, so he's conducting the interview while traversing Seattle, so you'll hear a lot of traffic in the background. Ryan says he is constantly around traffic. I started the interview by asking Ryan where he grew up and what was it like growing up there. Um, raised in a uh, town called LaGrange, Kentucky. It's a suburb of Louisville, as you guys call it. Uh, back home, we call it Louisville. Spent the first 20 years of my life there, really. I guess it's a place I still consider home. From LaGrange, I moved to Cincinnati, went to school there for a little bit, and uh, moved downtown Louisville. I uh, lived there for a little while, got married, had a child there. I think that's why my heart really is so connected to, to Louisville. But we had a desire to travel, even as a, a family with a very young child. And so we took off to Tampa, Florida, and then to Greece. Then we lived in Zambia for two years and ended up in the Pacific Northwest. I've been in Seattle now for the past nine years. How old were you when you left Louisville for the first time? Well, I guess for the first time I was about 23 years old with a, uh, you know, with a, okay. a daughter who was a year old. So you, grew, you basically grew up there then? I did, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's... For all intents and purposes, that's home, Louisville, Kentucky. So what was family life like? Well, I think it was, it was heavily influenced by, by the church, uh, even though we weren't what you might call fanatic, uh, a fanatic Christian family or somebody who, uh, uh, you know, who spends inordinate amounts of time at church. We were uh, a church family. It was you know, rooted in the Bible, and we had fundamentals, uh, values that, that applied to the family that we were expected to adhere to. Uh, we did go to church. I was raised in the church. And so I think to that degree, uh, even though it was a blended family, I had a stepfather, three stepbrothers, and a stepgrandmother uh, that, you know, all shared the house with me. But, you know, despite that, it was a, a traditional family in almost every sense of the word, you know. And what was school like for you? School was a challenge for me. It wasn't a whole lot of room allotted for experimental thinking or creative expression. Uh, you know, those kids, they were always around. They always will be around. There weren't a whole lot of opportunities for them, I think, in school. For me, I just kind of chose to, I, I suppose, express uh, my dissatisfaction with uh, a tight-run administration or, you know, somebody, some, something I felt was oppressive. Uh, so I chose to challenge the principal directly and ended up having to leave school my senior year. 
that taught me a whole lot about uh, creative expression and about being an artist and about responsibility, about effective communication, about uh, so many things. It was a tremendous experience. I ended up going to a different high school my senior year, graduating from there, and uh, that, that had a profound effect on the way that I viewed school. I tried community college for a little bit, went on to university, finished about a semester at university and decided you know, that just wasn't for me. And so I've been raising a family ever since, and I feel like that real school of hard knocks, the, the school of life learning, it's, it's probably been my greatest influence. So, Ryan, can you tell me a bit more about the issue in the high school that caused you to confront the principal? Sure. Well, I had questioned authority and even challenged authority uh, all through my high school career. But by my senior year, I really felt like I was in a position to negotiate. There are certain privileges that are awarded to a senior class that aren't awarded to underclassmen. And so I I felt like this was my, my time to really make demands that might be met by the administration. And so um, I guess I just I wanted to cross the line. And I knew there was a line that, that they had defined that shouldn't be crossed, uh, but I chose to cross it anyway. It was a unique situation in that we had a, a new principal that, that year. My senior year, we got a brand-new principal, female principal. And in Kentucky, like uh, I suppose in, in many other places, a woman in a position of, of power as a high school principal had something to prove to the Board of Education. Politics. You know, I mean, politics is, is really causing a strain on our educational system right now, just like it was back then. Being that, that she had something to prove, she wasn't going to let me step too far out of line. And so I, I'm pretty sure that's why I was made an example. But, yeah, just unique circumstances, I suppose. But no regrets. I, I hope not on either side. Yeah. No regrets. After you did your stint of college and started a family, what did you do? It just sort of all happened at the same time. It's, it's not as if we did this thing and then we did that thing. It was such, a, such an exciting time for us because we, we, we had lived in three different countries on three different continents within a span of about four years. We had just gained so much from those experiences that, I've, I don't know, it's, it's hard to define you know, one era from another you know, over that five-year period. When my daughter was very young, uh, we had an opportunity to go and live in Greece. That was our first venture, uh, you know, into uh, a life far outside of your comfort zone, you know, immersed in a, a completely d- different and new culture. Greece was a real challenge. I didn't speak the language. I studied it as hard as I could before in the six months uh, preparation before going uh, and even studied at the, the University of Crete. But Greek is a very tough language to master, so I wasn't able to get by very easily. And ultimately, I think that that ended in, well, what some people might refer to as a deportation. Uh, <laughs> we were we were pretty much asked to leave the country, so it was like high school all over again. <laughs> now, what were the circumstances that had you be able to go to Greece? My wife's mother was living there at the time. She knew somebody who was connected to the hotel industry. That's where my... Uh, at least my experience was at the time. You know, I had I had an interest in hotel management, so had aspirations of uh, pursuing that uh, academically and getting a degree and all that kind of stuff too, if it would help. But that was my interest. I was working in hotels and wanted to go and work in hotels uh, in Greece. And so the opportunity was there, and that's how we went. What happened after you returned to the states? Well, uh, we didn't immediately come back to the states. That was about six months in Greece. I did not want to come back to the United States. This was in 1998. I really feel like part of the, the tension between 
uh, me as an American and those folks as Greeks had a lot to do with the, the United States conflict in Kosovo. It wasn't a great time to be an American anywhere, to some degree. And I really didn't want to come back to the United States to continue to, to be an American. And so I picked Zambia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just I picked Zambia. met somebody that I was working with in Greece. Uh, he had lived in Zambia for several years. He said, it's a peaceful country. Since gaining independence in 1964, I think they've only had two coups, uh, both of them nonviolent. Uh, English is the official language because they were colonized by the British. So, you know, I wasn't going to have the same challenges in Zambia that I had in Greece. And so we went. Myself, my wife, our daughter was three years old at the time, and we had 100 bucks, and we made it work. So what did you do down there? <laughs> Somehow I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up working in agriculture, but it was really, it was really hard to get that job. I had one Greek contact uh, in Zambia that I had gotten from my coworker. Uh, so we touched down at Lusaka International Airport on the 4th of July, 1999, actually. This is 1999. And we had 100 bucks, One contact, but I was promised that that contact would be able to help me find a job, get me stabilized, and we'd just ride the wave out, right? That was pretty much the extent of our plan. Uh, I met with the Greek contact that night. Uh, he had told me he, I had gotten some bad information that uh, the guy who had referred me to him was of no relation to this man, and in fact, he owed him money. So we hoped that he had sent me with some money to repay his debt. So we started off on kind of the wrong foot in Zambia. The Greek man left by saying, I know a lot of people here in Zambia. I'll make some phone calls. We'll see what pans out. And even for that much, I was grateful. But we were stuck. We had nothing. We had very little money. You know, we had no real prospects, and things were looking pretty, pretty desperate. The following morning, we made a phone call to... Uh, the secretary of the local spiritual assembly in Lusaka. We happened to get her number uh, through various contacts. We had decided that it was the right thing to do just to make the phone call. So this lady drove her car over to the hotel where we were staying, loaded us in, took us back to her house, uh, put us up there. We slept there. We ate there. We prayed there. We lived there for about the next nine days until I found a job. Ryan, I noticed you mentioned the local spiritual assembly. So... The local spiritual assembly is the local governing council of the Baha'is in, a, in an area. So it sounds like at some point prior to going to Zambia, you had become a Baha'i. Correct. Uh, can you describe when it was that you became a Baha'i, how it was that you heard about it, and what attracted you to check it out? Sure. Uh, that goes back to my high school days. Uh, my freshman year in high school, uh, I met a young Persian girl there uh, in school. She and her family uh, were Baha'is. I knew that if I was ever going to marry her, you know, which I thought, by all means, I've got to marry this girl. I was 15, right? <laughs> said, if I'm ever going to impress her parents, I'll have to be a Baha'i. So uh, I really I declared when I was 16 years old after a youth conference at Lou Helen Baha'i School in Michigan, primarily because I wanted to impress a young Persian girl. And that, I have to be honest. But also because... It did represent a whole lot of things that I was looking for outside of the Christian experience that I'd, I'd been raised with. Uh, there were a lot of things I challenged in the church, just like I challenged at school. And when I found an environment of young folks who were open to the same ideas, 
and and actually presented some real tangible materials for a foray into that train of thought, you know, I was sold. And so that's what I found in the Baha'i faith. So when was it, Ryan, that you transferred your involvement into the Baha'i faith from one of being interested in this Persian girl to actually being something that you really wanted to commit yourself to and work for? To some degree, there was never any uh, any real distinction. It was always with the intent to uh, impress somebody, I think. And knowledge about the Baha'i faith affords you that opportunity. In fact, I think I've deprived myself of a lot of, of teaching opportunities because I wanted to be the only one that knew about the Baha'i faith. So that's a, that's a real interesting point of discussion when people start talking about whether it's more beneficial or advantageous to be born into the faith or to discover the faith. Uh, there's, there's a lot of that dialogue that happens between young people uh, with regards to the Baha'i faith, right? Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, I, I learned about service. I learned about what it meant to apply Baha'i principles and fundamentals when I lived in Zambia. And it wasn't until I got there that I realized what it was like to serve the faith. And that requires a lot of time, energy, devotion, sacrifice, and, and humility. And it taught me all of those things. It was a beautiful experience living in Zambia. So do you think you would have gone to Greece, and do you think you would have gone to Zambia if you weren't a Baha'i? Yes. I, I think I probably would have done everything in my life had I not been a Baha'i. Being a Baha'i doesn't so much determine what you do in life, but it affects your perspective through those experiences. And so I, I would like to think that I wouldn't have done anything differently, but the experience certainly would have been different. So after you landed in Zambia and spent uh, nine days with this LSA member, this local spiritual assembly member, uh, what happened after that? The Greek man came through. He called me on the 10th day that we were there. I was down to my last Zambian kwacha before he could even finish the sentence about, you know, the prospect that he had. I said, I'll take it. You know, whatever it is, I'll take it. And I did. I ended up taking the job. It was uh, working for a, a processing plant. We would uh, purchase soybeans and sunflower seeds from big corporate farms and also from small-scale indigenous farmers, and then extract the cooking, cooking oil from those seeds to resell right there in Zambia. Cooking oil is very essential to the Zambian diet, and so having a sustainable agricultural industry there uh, is really beneficial to the country. There, there should be more sustainable industries within Zambian countries, but uh, I won't go too far into that right Oh, why won't you go too far into that? <laughs> uh, well, okay, we'll go into that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, I, there's just uh, there. Governments are very uh, quick to respond uh, when there is uh, media focus on crises in the world. Yeah, I just did a, a benefit fundraiser for Haiti a couple of weeks ago. The show was sold out. Uh, it raised plenty of money. It's a drop in the bucket compared to to what money has been raised uh, in total. But people come out to support that thing. The news media covers it, and people are quick to respond to that. But there are so many crises taking place in Africa, from the north to the south, east and west. There's trouble in Africa, real trouble. I I just wish there was more media attention paid to it, so that that might help people understand a little bit more what, what circumstances are there. How long did you work for this company? I worked there for a year and a half before they started talking about reducing salaries. 
and I'll be perfectly honest, I was making $1,500 U.S. Dollars a month. It's not a ton of money. It is a, an unbelievably handsome salary in the eyes of a, an indigenous Zambian worker who makes roughly a dollar a day. The, the challenge is there's no middle class in Zambia. There's no way to live making $1,500 a month. Because on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are working for the government. Uh, you have people who are working for uh, multinationalist corporations. You have people who are working for NGOs, and their salaries are taken care of. Their, their salaries are like $90,000, $100,000 a year, plus expenses are paid for. Their accommodations are paid for. Their transportation is paid for. Their children's education is paid for. When that's what you're up against, making 1500 U.S. dollars a month with none of those benefits, that doesn't get you very far. Our rent was 650 a month. That's comparable to what you might pay in some cities in the U.S., in the Midwest, you know, maybe in Kentucky. Living on 1500 U.S. dollars a month in a place where there's no middle class is hard to do. So when they started talking about reducing salaries at work, I knew that that, that just wasn't going to work. There was no way we could make that happen, and that's when we decided to leave. And then we came back to the U.S. to live like Americans. <laughs> and where did you go? Seattle. We settled here. I, I visited this place once. Uh, when my daughter was born, we came to visit the in-laws and show off the baby and all that stuff. And aside from that, I had n- no point of reference. You know, I mean, I had uh, no knowledge of the Pacific Northwest. I was really ignorant about Seattle culture. And I do believe that there is a a definable, quantifiable Northwest culture. And after being here for nine years, there are some ways in which I've acclimated and others which I haven't that go all the way back to the days of my youth when I would question and challenge too much, sometimes just for the sake of questioning and challenging, you know. Some people feel that obligation, you know. They feel like that's their duty, is to never accept anything at face value and question it regardless. And, and I have done that here. I've made some friends because of it, and I've lost quite a few friends because of it. But adapting to a culture in any place you go, you know, whether it be Zambia, uh, where you speak the language, uh, but, you know, you're, you're a racial minority, that's a new experience. Or you go to Greece, you know, and you don't speak the language, and there's a conflict going on that affects the way people look at you as an American. Or whether you move to Seattle, and you don't realize that, you know, that there are issues here that people are trying to deal with that they don't vocalize, they don't talk about. You know, in the South, it's, it's different. People are more open and more honest in the South. Coming to the Northwest, it's no different from traveling all over the world. You have to adapt. Ryan, you must really identify with the Baha'i principle of independent investigation of truth. Most definitely, yeah. Again, you know, reading through the fundamental principles of the Baha'i faith, I mean, fundamentally, who's going to argue with any of them? unless they're just challenging for the sake of challenging, right? These are, these are simple truths, right? And that one is one that we oftentimes just take for granted, I guess. Independent investigation of the truth. You know, ultimately what it means to me is, is not just accepting tradition, not just accepting everything that's been handed to you. You have a responsibility to sort through it, and you keep what's good, you keep what's beneficial, but you let go of the stuff that, that keeps you from evolving. And if we are in this constant process of evolution, physical or spiritual or whatever, then we have to filter things, and we, we have to keep what is good, and we have to get rid of what is bad and what keeps us from growing. 
And, and so, yeah, that's what I tried to find by literally traveling around the world. I mean, there's so many places I haven't seen. I'm not saying I've, I've seen the whole world, but that was what motivated me to leave. It was me flying the nest, and I wanted to fly as far as I could until I couldn't fly anymore. So, you know, here I am, and I, I don't think I would do that again now, but going back, there's nothing I would do differently. Now, what was your parents' reaction to you becoming a Baha'i? At one point, I'm sure my mom knew more about the Baha'i faith than I did because she was very much interested in knowing what it was I'd become a part of. And so she did the research. She did far more research than I did. I don't know how much valuable information she got because I, I don't know what she was reading, but I do know that she had a vested interest in my spiritual path. That was her initial reaction. That, that tells you something about my mother's character. She was never, never the type to say, you can't do this. But she wanted to know what exactly I was getting into. And she did. There was nothing I ever really kept from my mom, and there was no need to. And she and I are still very close now. But her initial reaction was not, oh, my God, this is not a good idea. They told me, they being my mom and my stepfather, both very, very good people, very spiritually grounded people. They said, you can be whatever you want. You just have to be it. So they wouldn't let me sit home on a Sunday afternoon while they went off to church and watch TV or play basketball or do whatever, right? I had to be engaged and involved in Baha'i activities. You know, go and do something. That's what enabled me, really, to grow into the faith more, because it wasn't, you know, it was no longer just a, a rebellion against the church, or it wasn't just something I had to impress other people, my knowledge of the Baha'i faith. If you don't know what that is, oh, well, I do. It was no longer a, an arrogant thing. It, didn't, it wasn't for my ego. It was for me. So what happened after you arrived in Seattle? Well, I guess a, a whole lot of things, really. <laughs> things are still happening. But immediately I started working for my father-in-law. You know, we got set up in a, a little apartment about 35 miles outside of Seattle. Small town. It was built on a logging industry, really. Incorporated in Washington State in, like, 1904. So it's kind of a uh, the lumber town. It settled in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. And interestingly enough, the high school and the state reformatory sit back-to-back to each other. And I've always thought that was the most curious thing, why somebody would build a high school and a prison, a state prison, on the same plot of land. And I've, I've wondered that my whole life because that's exactly the town that I came from. In LaGrange, Kentucky, the state penitentiary and the high school practically share the same property. So I can remember once in my high school career where there was a prison break and they, they locked the whole thing down. Chains on the doors, armed guards on the roof of the school. And now I live in that same town. Hmm. So Seattle culture, like I said, is, is different. There are a lot of changes I had to make. But this is about the, the closest I can get to home by being so far away. It's, it's a very strange thing. I happen to be in Seattle now. I spend 18 hours a day in the city. Hmm. But at night, I go back to that small town. And, and it's quiet, and I sleep like a baby. So are you homesick for Louisville? No. No, never. And, and that has no bearing whatsoever on, on how much I love that place. I just know I'll never live there again. So there's no reason to be homesick for it. But if I ever get sentimental, it's during the Kentucky Derby 
or a Louisville basketball game. <laughs> and watching them beat Connecticut yesterday, wow. <laughs> now that make, that might make you a little bit homesick. <laughs> so how long did you work for your father-in-law? That lasted about eight months. Yeah. Uh, it's tough to work for family. He's a great guy, but I had to go and find my own job. And so, yeah, I did. And now I work in the, the sexy industry of property management. <laughs> so these monstrosities of condos that are springing up all over the city, that's what we manage. It's honest work at the end of the day. I'm not there fixing problems. You mentioned art growing up. So do you have an art that you were interested in growing up or that you pursued later on? I guess my interest in arts probably started out like many people. I, I started drawing things. And I was never a great artist, but it felt so natural to draw something. Just picking up a, a pen and drawing something on a piece of paper is, is very, very natural for me. I do that before I write words or numbers or anything else. I just start drawing pictures. So I thought I wanted to, to become an artist. And I'm talking like, you know, probably 12, 13, 14 years old or something like that. Oh, right around the same time, I started listening to uh, a lot of old classic rap. So I was listening to uh, Big Daddy Kane, and I was listening to Public Enemy, and I was listening to Ghetto Boys, and I was listening to N.W.A. And I found that the expression that used to be picking up and, and drawing on a piece of paper became writing. And I, I really started to get interested in just rapping. So at first I would, I would rap the Fresh Prince lyrics over top of, you know, other instrumentals. I mean, I, or LL Cool J's lyrics. I wouldn't even write my own. I was just rapping other rappers' lyrics when I was 12 or 13 years old. Then after I, I did that, I started writing my own raps. And I felt that same release that I would feel when I would draw something. That was the immediate creative expression that I identified with. And I just took it from there, and I never really stopped. I'm, I'm not the type of person that, that writes something every single day. I know people do that, either as an exercise or that just becomes their discipline. I've never written like that, but when I have to release, that's the way that it comes out. And so that's what I've been doing in Seattle. I've been doing a lot more writing with the intent to record, and, and that's what's you know, taken me into... Uh, to the development of common market and becoming established as a uh, an MC here in Seattle. Do you have a CD? Yes, as Common Market, we've released four separate projects. Four release they they came out either in the form of a, a physical CD or they were digital downloads. And so, as Common Market, we put out four projects between 2005 and 2009. Tell me about this Haiti benefit. The Haiti Benefit was organized by a, a University of Washington student. He's, he's of Haitian descent. He felt obligated. He felt compelled to do something, and he put together a concert. I was among the first people he called, and I was so happy that he thought of me. I was happy to be involved in it. So I said, yes, of course, whatever it is, yes. And the show was a huge success. Really proud of him because it was the, the individual initiative, that spirit that drove him to put together the show. How would you say the Baha'i faith has informed your art? That's always a, a really tough question to answer because I can't say that the Baha'i faith dictates what I write, mm -hmm. but it influences everything that I do. So being a Baha'i is essentially a condition. Uh, that it's, it's one of many of my conditions. So I don't rap about being a white guy because that stuff is really corny. 
<laughs> but being a white guy in, it influences everything that I do because that's my reality. So making the Baha'i faith a part of my reality, it has the same effect. It, it shapes my perspective, and then that perspective is essentially what you're seeing through the music. And so that's the degree to which the Baha'i faith affects the music. But for me to just write about the Baha'i faith in the form of rap, it becomes just as corny as rapping about me being white. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to hold anybody's interest. Nobody wants to hear me rap about being a Baha'i. But they want to hear me rap about being me. And because I am a Baha'i, you see how they're connected. Where would you like to see Common Market or your art go to from here? That's probably the toughest question of all to answer. I have no idea. Because I don't know where you go from here. There are so many compromises you have to make to become a millionaire making music. To a lesser degree, just to be, to be able to pay the bills, to, to make music sustain your livelihood. That's still a real challenge. So below that is kind of where I am. And that's holding down a full-time and a part-time job while continuing to try and release music. Is there something you haven't done yet that you have this dream of doing? I would really like to have the opportunity to, to play music uh, overseas. You know, whether I take it back to Zambia or take it back to Greece, I don't know. We'll see. But I'd definitely like the opportunity to tour playing music uh, all over the world. Just have the opportunity to play in, you know, some of the most remote places in the world. That'd be great. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for telling your story. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you were interested and patient enough to listen. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ryan Abeo, a musician in the Seattle area. If you want more information on his music, you can go to the website www.commonmarketmusic.com. I'll be playing his music for the remainder of the hour. For a copy of this and other programs, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Tell them what the truth.
trouble is, come on now. Trouble is, love don't want you, boy. See, trouble is, love don't want you, baby. See, trouble is, love don't want you, no. See, trouble is, love don't want you here. Not one to gamble, let the camel to the long drag. Sat back and blew inside, you know these fools are going mad. Through the smoke, propose the wage of tails. You can take my field, had you accept my station. They deliberate a deal. Coin turn, for what seem like eternity. So rest, the folks rapping fretting while the peasant never broke a sweat. Confident, he had him in the talisman's descent. By the time they shouted tails, he done packed his bag and went. Uh, best never try to test the that. You want to settle, better pay your dues. Better pay your dues. To the boss, you done lost your profit. I'll take your food. I'll take your food. Better be going set about a keep on the boulevard towards the boat. Ever come back in about a turn of that decoy down your throat. In the meantime, we find these five fools through quench of thirst. Ever pay, we make this way to convince some of these men to work. In the year we sell to supplement the income court and trap, we must be blessed. Best of all, that form is going, thank God for that. Yup, yup, yup. Double dip with the trouble is. Yeah, it's hustle biz with the trouble is. Son sent to war for the grunt work of the government All debts were paid on the last day of judgment I've heard purported it's approaching with celerity Proselytes testify with utmost sincerity I don't think he's coming, y'all try me for heresy But what's all stalling for, a little more disparity? Uh, back in the Armageddon, tell him we exhausted every option Since the trade went laid claim to caution Damn, since the Gnostics allowed with the sergeants You, I'm tired of waiting, slide the plate across it now Sing it. I can't take this pain I can't stand this rain All this work in vain This world is insane Puppets on the string Pain and suffering Nothing left to bring Let money not sing I love the demonstration stays on the proscenium Curtain drawn, I'm working behind them with the medium Roadblocks keep throwing rocks at the Imperium Hell yeah, long march, dawn strong, wearisome Seeing fan falling through the cracks in the variance Famished on a barren land of AIDS and malaria One percent conviction with the tenth of their inheritance Freedom buried in the treasure chest of the nefarious Terrorists with pipe bombs who sitting on the megaton Femus slow to respawn, blame it on the 
weather wrong. Billion dollar telethon. Tell them where the chatter going. I wonder why my people keep their weapons drawn. Uh. Empty of my pride. Nothing left inside. Lost the will to fight. Lord knows that I've tried. Beaten by this thing. Watching my ship sing. Still I'm listening. For deliverance, we meant to keep you pacified. Same with the others, but some brothers felt a fratricide. Even I was doubtful we could counteract the massive tide. Then arrived the whale, I hailed to revive the battle cry. Bella Warren set upon the pleas of the fanciful and anthropal. The resurgence of purpose, grand manifold. Damn, this road is chancy, make advancing through the sand. The manageable, lend a hand, enchant the canical. Come on. I can't take this pain. I can't stand this rain, all this work in vain, this world is insane, pump is on a strain, pain and suffering, nothing left to bring, let my Nina And the leaves make believers mouth and off again. I'ma make believers out of all of them. Sort of pin to pieces, it bleeds into the living country. To win respect, with respect to the civilized. Yesteryear, I pressed to hear Mr. X up in your intros. Send those messages via text, that's the info. Beam me up, Bluetooth flashy, automatic transmission. Can't diminish my savvy. These are hundred dollar jeans, hundred dollar jeans, man. Styling on the album, my partisan short a C span. Ain't could drive dead center, none of y'all can move me. Your defendant plaintiff ain't no pinning on the jewelry. Ain't no Sinners in a jewelry box tossed the flurry of rocks and watch the curry and scurry to turn a profit over pot shot right from the sniper of DCCL. Suffice to say, they don't aim well. Hey, yo, the game seen it coming, so the hunt's unfair. Tap the power from the one, two, and run it through the chair. Tell the code they are leaderless. Only option now is to wait for them to bow, bow, bow. Say can and will be used against you okay. Wrote the unspoken, okay. yeah, I know you never meant to Fire in the crucible, crown melted down Now whose turn is it to bow, yeah. bow, bow Hey yo, the music was not made for saving you It's what you do when the record stops playing Who woulda knew a couple dudes from the 80s grew To spit the truth in the booth and get praises due Plus the hate, the bruise, ain't Nathan new Cause no matter what you say, they finna label you Got something in 2008 to prove But I wouldn't cast a ballot if they paid me to I played it cool like Prince in a Paisley suit Made it rain hella purple like we played the U Made for you, but suits tend to blame us too Saying we taking jobs, but we're lazy too So we had to take it back to my days in school Watching battles on boss crew and made for brew But who made the rules if we were made to lose? We just scholars in the market and a change pursuit Hey yo, the gang seen it coming, so the hunt's unfair Tap the power from the one-two and run it through the chair Tell the cop they are leaderless Only option now is to wait for them to bow Bow, bow Anything you say can and will be used against you Broke the unspoken, yeah, I know you never meant to Fire in a crucible, crown melted down Now whose turn is it to bow, bow, bow
It has been a minute And the Southpaw ain't felt right Without the pen and it's inference And been sitting submissive But nothing bringing Jimmy back You know that Praying to waste of wishes I made a decision Carry on on a living a deed Though the muse moving decreased speed Due to the weight My doom to lose patience with me Favor the blue You knew what I was training to be I came for the taking of something They ain't seen back in Henry The proximity to Knox Sports Not giving any but cause to envy Lord when have we fought the Enemy with more than a four that we storming the port of entry. Remember, we got the James clan. My symphony got the flames, fan to conquer. When the song come on, pay the band. Send a percentage back, old or mold. Factor in a state tax, or wave it if it go to pave tobacco road. Uh, some memories I kept, others left, others I must have let go to protect. Hold a check for the road I set. Ready? No, not yet. Well, let me know when I return to collect. They never found me, cause Valerie's boy had a different rhythm to play to. When he gon' use his tools to break through. Mindful of the nights in the state. Who they say life is what you make it, when really life is what makes you. Paying homage with the big nod to Aubrey. Them schools failed me. Thank God the farm taught me the value of a callous hand. How to work in platter's land. How even the modest crop will make it pop the proudest man. Harvest of a thousand fans. Sands of grammar seeds broadcast through loudspeakers in the weeds. I was born last. Profound effect on my volume. Plus the readiness to fill it in the field. You should hear what they call them regardless. I should have spent another year on the bottom tier instead of trying to dodge what it was. I thought got him here. 89 and Number 84 lumber, another summer fighting for cash to mash on the likening of cycles I seen. Those not keen on college lost direction or went to be correctional offices. No opportunity was offered us. I had my sights on being gone for. They cut the lights on. Ryan's song, right or wrong, tired, tighter. I'm tired of buying in the guidance for the rock. My father fought it with firearms and died in the trauma. The violence for the child of drama. No wonder he pulled to wander. Knowing this home is haunted, praying it over yonder. They still. Don't know how much I love them, I just had to go, had it with the status quo, they asking me if I'll be back when I'm old, in fact, no, these are my last tracks along Tobacco Road, uh, but I'll forever call it home, and I feel it whenever I call home, whenever I call home, yeah. I'll forever call it home, and I feel it whenever I call home, whenever I call home, yeah, I'll forever call it home, and I feel it whenever I call home, whenever I call home. Yeah, I forever call it home and I feel it whenever I call home.
No doubt. Differentiated the many ways to raise it. Cause losing the weight and making only hurts where you wanna take it. I've been giving something I should hold sacred. And if I don't take it, then this opportunity goes wasted. It's so basic, the meaning is made with a gesture. Invaded from the West and demonstrated with aggression. Feel the trace of the weapon, it reiterates a message. A little bit of effort for the outline of session. It's now time to let it begin. Head to the wind. The second I stand, see less of a plan. It don't matter though. In that direction lies the answer. So you have to go And for protection's sake You never take the path and hold Let the method make you less And then you'll be the last to know Some of us have nothing But a word will make us have it all Pass it all Time to focus now That's what we spoke about Scoping out the whole zone now No doubt No doubt Time to mellow out Mellow out Dark space, a wave it in, vacillating Half a day wasted, asking a favor of validation, a plate of the base Nature, rate the arms in my low end Chrome plated and shown places they afraid to go in a 21st century fox Rocking the lambs, wore the song channel The palm planted on the handle The panel host supposedly channeled the Holy Ghost I'm down with your stand close To get your crown rose You heard sir, prefer a touch of swerving the verb I learn respect come first and the chat come third Now what's the worth of a bush full of birds To the one you done snap When every last one come when I clap But they would from the sun It's some punished for that Seen it happen at the pinpoint Pushed in the map Travel the globe around Loaded so I know what it's about Throw a spark and turn the cold as the valve No doubt No doubt Time to mellow out Wow, 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 wow Yeah, I burn a few waiting on my turn in certitude, searching for a heaven ever since. Interring Gertrude with the pin the worst to the dirge and dreamt of the image of innocence. Intense, but forgive my indifference. There's something about I heard it before. You all the same, and I told her we never spoken, so you must be mistaken. I thought maybe she turned away for modesty's sake. Yet as she wept, I saw my name alone the nape of her neck. For pardon, I pleaded. Evidently, she and I were friends with tense straps between this apparition and the one then. Would have been little more than a bench had I. I mentioned I'm a lad feeling star creeping in the act reciprocated when the weight stack bent like a paperback get away the kid made tracks afraid to speak a name vaguely I recall of being faith let me hold out I'm moving slower now no doubt uh. Lost touch but never lost hope Found direction and respect for the presence of crossroads Guilt gone, so will be the hill the house is built on Matters not infinite, my sinner swimming in Cimarron Agent they disintegrate, all the weak of dust Fall the touch, wait until the wind pick up It's possibly your progeny in the gust Blowing about when he show, pulling photos out No doubt And obviously the reason we rose the promise 
Cleveland as we documenting history here. The ends near the pen bomber grenade, the promenade is sincere. My folks rush to grab it and mash it full thrust. The first to have status and pull and hold a flush for control. They go nuts, yo. We rolling back to Cali, reviving the rush for the gold dust. Yo, we crush the precious metal to dust for distribution. All you gotta do is breathe and receive the restitution under pressure. We become both gems and grown men. It's like a jungle sometimes. Wonder why I was thrown in when my instincts seem to do more harm than good. It's difficult to defend against the arm with wood. Maybe I was never meant to be a champion. I'm standing downstream, panning for ambition to hand in. Necessity was the mother of the invention of my character. The neighborhood, good Samaritan, holding the derringer and daring you to thwart my path or try stopping the establishment of armistice. This is the dichotomy. I gotta see the reconciliation take place. My offering for the intercession is birth, sage, and Smith the Wesson. I'm guessing God really needs neither, but I must if I'm entrusted as my brother's keeper. The challenge is discerning fan from adversaries. They move with similar fashion. A real man carries a heavier load. Shoulders and back bold. The observation is in a simple conversation you hold. Look me in the eye and tell me I'm not worthy of favor. The crop would never pay it if not for all our labor. We despond, twisted to sign dots along the way that it's hot. Where you will stay, I pray God to be your savior. When the fires of propitiation reach the plantation, 30 lashes in the dirty ashes, laying the abatement. I'm afraid of laughing. Shortly after, I'll be facing the wrath. I ask for mercy to one purposely in passion, and I'm certain the infractions of forgivable offense. When the true Lord of the stand would never quibble over rent. Well, profited, no man in his last days. These flames will show you what you made of. Dust, dust. Yo, the dust I was born from is this type of sin sight. It's Helping me to get right again. I need assistance at times. Be the admission disguised behind a suit. And then my hope to find truth. And then before these guys do, I'm in. And what's a legacy worth next to mine? Metal, you'll measure me first. Crushing this metal, we work. The change not for pennies. If anything, the commodity traded is us for flakes of gold dust. Uh. Some 
in a lifetime trying to find a reason, but uh, 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 uh. We, we, we do our thing, son. War takes prisoners, and I ain't trying to be one. Do our thing, son. No apologies, no complaints, and no refunds. It's bad work to be done. Uh, we uh, do our uh, thing, son. Hey, may say I'm just a dream. Oh, well, at least I'm thinking while I'm sleeping. Cause the last thing I can do is nothing at all. By a plethora of regrets in my agonist age I'm a question of a precepts If we left the staff in place to blaze the path Then uh, the shackles take up on a sequel to each step The chain balls speaking impotent to contact I'm trained not to be a militant to combat Upon that frame the shot pop a name say yeah, The game soft be the will of him who want that Yo said to be the idiot in my poetry Yeah the broke fed upon the brilliance of poetry Lord of beasts and folks spread I had go now The quote there by the bill in support of me, the tag shams, but a negligent critique. While some had a chance, others fester in the disease. The kidneys, the pack, the jam, and I get at your uh, goddamn expressive best believe. Uh. You can call me anything you like, and I will call you when it's time to strike. Cause we both know I can't do nothing at all. As you do yours, land here become fecund. Yeah, uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all yeah, know we can't do nothing at all. Nah, yo, I can't do nothing at all. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all. GT, he don't do nothing at all. G.O., uh-huh, my guy King, he don't do nothing at all. The mass line, he don't do nothing at all. The big germ. Raj D. He don't do nothing at all. And little Eric. He don't do nothing at all. And Kirby. She don't do nothing at all. She don't do nothing at all. Well, Angel. Yep. Sport life. They don't do nothing at all. And the physics. Uh-huh. My guy Shell. He don't do nothing at all. My other guy Dap. Uh-huh. DV. He don't do nothing at all. Yep. And D Black. Uh, and yep, yep, and Tony Hill. She don't do nothing at all. The town folk. We don't do nothing at all. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. We can't do nothing at all. We can't do nothing at all. No, no, we can't do nothing at all. Yeah, no, we can't do nothing at all.
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.